Welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. We are beginning a new sermon series this morning. We'll be in this series for probably the next four weeks, give or take, and this series entitled, By the Book. By the book. And I don't know what you think of when you hear that statement, um, but typically I slide into thinking about uh, kind of legal types of ideas and punitive types of transactions, right? If we're going to do something by the book, then you've got to get it right. You don't stray wrong. Some of you are still traumatized from kindergarten, where by the book meant you had to color inside the lines and you just couldn't get your stuff together. And you're still dealing with some of the consequences of that in your life. But like by the book, it's like you're going to do it Right. It seems to be uh, something to uh, the same idea as like maybe doing something to the letter of the law. So that may be where you immediately go. And that's not where we're going to be going with this idea because we don't want to move into living our lives in a legalistic way. We don't want to move into our our lives into doing some type of religious bondage. But what we do want to do is we want to live our lives aligned with the plans and purposes and designs for each one of us to live into the fullness of his faithful promises and the fruitfulness that comes as a result of that. So I want you to, if if you are inclined to think of living by the book as I got to get it all right, beep, bop, boop, I want to help you dismantle that and suggest to you that really what it means to live by the word of God is to live a life the way that it was designed to be lived. It has to do with the way that life was designed to be lived, and we're going to be looking at how we can have the Word of God be our foundation and kind of the central part of living a life well for the things of God and to experience the fullness of that. Thursday, kind of afternoon, evening, I came out of the heat, and can we all agree that it's been hot, right? It's been been California desert hot to me. Uh, it reminds me of where I grew up. It has ju- it's been hot. I came in from outside and I came into the house and usually it's just like that arctic blast of refreshment when you come in from outside. And it was cool when I came in, but it wasn't as refreshing. And immediately you start to think, uh-oh, something is wrong. And when I came in um, from the backyard and came in and, and I felt that, I immediately looked at the thermostat because that's where it is. And some of you dads are like, they touched your thermostat, you are, you're immediately jumping to conclusions, right? Somebody touched the thermostat and it's like, oh, rage monster. No, nobody touched the thermostat. It was worse. It was worse. I looked at the thermostat and it hadn't been adjusted because the screen was blank. It was off. That's worse than your kids pushing it up or down. It was not functioning at all. And so I grabbed the thermostat and I took it apart and I was like, it needs fresh batteries. It's got to be fresh batteries. And I grabbed fresh batteries and I put them in and guess what? The screen was still blank. And I was like, this is not good. It is too hot for this not to work. And I looked at my watch. It was 15 minutes to eight and Home Depot closed at eight. And I ran out the back door saying, I got to get to Home Depot now. I'm on my way back later. And I got there before they closed like those outer doors. Like I was like that last person like squeaking in and I was was sweaty. I was like, it's too hot not to make it, you know? And I got back there. I found a thermostat. It was a smart thermostat. Like it was kind of, I was like, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it big, right? And so I got the upgrade. 
came out and I made my way home and I was an electrician when I was in college. I, I did, I've got some familiarity with this kind of stuff and I took apart the old one and I put the new one in and installed it and it didn't work. And at that point, I was like, I know how to take things apart and put them back together, but I don't know all of the whys and this was not working. And so I had to take what I had just done apart and what I found, let me just sidebar for a second. This was a, a smart thermostat. And what I have discovered is that when I was coming up, the technology was simple and the human component was smart. And we seem to have reversed that at this stage in my life. The technology is really smart and I'm like, I don't know how this works anymore. And so that's where I found myself. And so I, I took it apart and I went back to the old thermostat because the store's closed. There's the, the, I've got to find a solution, right? Ranchers, farmers, you guys know that you just make something do what needs to be done. And so I'm sitting there playing with this and I found that there were some contacts that weren't necessarily working right, that if I wiggled and jiggled, right, the wiggle and jiggle, and I, I got it to just, it would turn back on. I got fresh batteries in it. And so my solution was this, sitting there on the counter was a bunch of plastic forks and I grabbed one, snapped off one of the spikes and I jammed it in there just right. And for the last three days, it's been cool at the Hackbarth Homestead. And so that's been great. It's functioning. It's functioning, but not the way that it was designed. And you, you and I both know it's just a matter of time. Every time I come in the back door, I'm waiting to see if it feels too hot. and I'm looking to see if it's still working because I know that it will not last the way that I repaired it. It's a stopgap. It's a short repair, but it needs to be professionally repaired or it needs to be completely replaced. And what I would say to you is that we've been talking a lot about how to live heaven on earth, to live out God's plans and purposes for our life, to live with a, a real design and a meaning to the life that we live, to enjoy the fullness of God's promises being expressed in our experiences. We spent a lot of time looking at how to have God be the author of our story and to write just like that, that beautiful masterpiece of who we would be and who he would intend us to be and how to live that out. And what I know is that to live out heaven on earth, there's a lot of areas in my life that I've allowed to just be patched together that need to either be repaired supernaturally or replaced altogether. And to live my life out heaven on earth, to live life out in that way, to live aligned to the things of God is going to require me to live out life the way that he designed for it to be lived to begin with. And, and much, much of our lives, uh, when I am personally reflective and when I have opportunity to sit with friends and family and members of our church family and community and, and they reflect back or they give voice to their present struggles or difficulties right now, much of our lives seem to be just kind of patched together. Like it's, it's working. Like it's, it's functional, right? Even, even you'll, you'll hear people talk about their functional dysfunction. Like a, you're making it, but we're just, we're just patching things up the best that we can, and we're trying to endure the season. That's what I did with my thermostat. I'm just trying to get through the hot. Sometimes we're just trying to endure the week, 
We're running from Sunday to Sunday. We're hoping that this Sunday we get filled up with just enough Jesus to make it to next Sunday. Some of us are just trying to make it through today. And we need to either be repaired or we need to surrender something to be replaced. And for the next several weeks, we're going to talk about how, how to do that in a way where we are setting our feet, we're setting the foundation of our life on something that doesn't move, on something that isn't shaken when the world shakes. That's something that doesn't have to be retranslated or re-understood, something that has stood the test of time and can be an absolute anchor point for our understanding of who we are and how we relate to God and how His ways can be lived out in our lives. And so if you've got your Bible, I encourage you to go ahead and get that out. Open up your Bible app on your smartphone or your tablet. Lord, we ask that you would soften our hearts today. Lord, that you would open our eyes, open our ears. Lord, that we would receive your word. Lord, that we would see it with fresh and new appreciation. Lord, that there would be a desire and a hunger in us, not to just know content, but Lord, to understand how to live in a way where we do partner with you in all the wonderful things that you've designed for us. So give us willing hearts to receive from you today, and Lord, give us courageous faith that would say, I'm going to take a step, I'm going to act on it, that we would put it into practice beginning just this week. In Jesus' name, amen. If your Bible's out, if you would go ahead and open up to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8. We're going to start there this morning. We'll focus on an anchor verse that's going to um, help us as we go through this series, and then we'll move forward after that. Deuteronomy chapter 8, the writer is reminding God's people of God's provision. He actually starts talking about the way that God uh, provided uh, physical sustenance, where he provided bread and he provided meat for them while they were in a place that had none of that. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, if you're familiar with the journey of God's people and, and eventually the nation of Israel, you would know that this was during a period of 40 years where they just kind of wandered nomadically as a people in the desert. They had no place. They had no um, like physical location. They just bounced from place to place to place to place. And it was such a barren and desolate place, such a barren and desolate existence that God had to supernaturally provide for them. Where there was bread that was provided, it was called manna, where they would go to bed at night and they would wake up in the morning. There were just manna flakes on the ground. In my head as a kid, it was frosted flakes. That's what I would imagine. And they got enough for the day, and then, and then it, would, it would be gone, and they would have to do the same thing over and over and over. Uh, there was quail that was provided that would come in, and, and, and they had meat and bread, and God just supernaturally provided that. Water came from rocks. Like it, was, it was supernatural. And what's interesting is in Deuteronomy is that's being spoken back to, and as kind of the history and the reminder is being written for the people, they're reminded of God's physical provision for them, but the writer makes this caveat statement that says that this was for a purpose, that there was a, 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 like a plan or a lesson that God had intended for them to come out of in that experience. That more than just having bread, more than just having meat, more than having water, more than having their need met, and more than understanding that God was the one who met their need, there was something deeper that they were supposed to come out with as a deep conviction. And in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, it says that the lesson was to teach them that man does not live 
on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That the provision of God, the daily provision of God was supposed to reinforce this truth that more than they needed breakfast, they needed the word of God. That more than they needed food, more than they needed a snack, more than they they needed physical sustenance, they needed the word of God. And that that was actually more important than breakfast. And so it was to reinforce this idea. And many of you would be familiar with this verse, but you wouldn't know that it came from Deuteronomy unless you did a little bit of study. Most of you would be familiar with this verse if you grew up in the church because Jesus spoke it. And very frequently you'll hear messages that come out of Matthew chapter 4 or the other account that is given in Luke. And it comes out of the period in Jesus' life where before he began to actually do the things of the kingdom of God, he is led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. He spends 40 days there. And at the culmination of that, Satan comes and brings three temptations to him. And if you're familiar with the passage, each time that he was offered coincidentally, something that God had promised. If you go back and look at it, the things that were offered to Jesus were also things that were already spoken of who he was supposed to be and what was supposed to be the result of his time on earth. They all actually aligned with things that were already his because dad had said so, but Satan offers him the shortcut and a lesser counterfeit. You need to just put that in your back pocket. Can I tell you that whenever you are tempted, oftentimes it is with something good that God has already promised you, but you are offered a shortcut and a lesser version. Do not fall for that. Don't fall for that. If you take less, you'll always have less. That's an absolute principle. God wants you to have more. He wants you to have all of what he's promised and all of what he's designed for your life. And the way that Jesus responded to those temptations was in quoting Scripture. In fact, all three of his rebuttals to those offers were direct Scripture quotes, one of which was this. When Jesus was told by uh, Satan, hey, you're hungry. I know, like it's been a long 40 days. Pick up these rocks, turn them into bread. And Jesus' response to that temptation to take care of his own physical needs was to quote this verse from Deuteronomy chapter 8. It says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, that Jesus answered, it is written. That was Jesus' way of saying, God has already spoken on this. Man doesn't live by bread alone. Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Hey, I know that life is not designed for lunch. That God's design, His plans, His purposes, they're bigger than that. I'm not falling for it. Life was designed to be lived according to God's Word. And He'll meet your need and He'll make your provision, but it's more than that. It's more than that. And when we don't live the way that God has intended for us, that's when life is diminished. That's when life is a less than life. Jesus was quoting this passage in that temptation. And it was a good reminder not to fall for less than what God has promised. 
And the reason why life doesn't live or life isn't lived out in, in God's design, the reason why we have to choose to do that and to be realigned, not just to the word of God, but by the spirit of God at work in us, is because the world's broken. And you don't need a pastor or somebody who's learned or academic to convince you of that. Just go outside. Like you, can, you can see things that are unjust and unfair. You can even see that displayed in the natural around us. Like you, you can see that. And it's, and it's because in Romans chapter 6, it says succinctly this way. It, just, it says that the wages of sin is death. And what I used to think of when I thought of that verse when I was a little kid was that if you do something naughty, God's going to get you. It was punitive. And the more that I have grown close to the Father heart of God and the more that I have understood the consequences of sin and brokenness in this world, I know that the wages of sin and death says much more than just you're going to be punished. It's actually not saying that at all. It's saying that whatever sin touches, it's going to mess up. It's the sticky fingers. It's the sticky-fingered toddler in your house after you just cleaned it. Whatever it touches, that's dirty now, right? Parents, come on, give me an amen. Everybody knows. Some of you, listen to me, some of you borrow a vehicle to pick up your friends to take them places because you can't put them in your own vehicle. You know what I'm talking about. The wages of sin is that whatever sin touches or impacts, it, it diminishes. In the other part of this verse, it says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Living the way that it was intended, living out alignment with the things of God brings about eternal life. And again, that phrase eternal life, when I was little, that was always thought of as like someday. Like someday, hopefully, maybe I can get into heaven and like that's going to be like enough to make up for just what I've endured here. And that phrase eternal life, like it's, it's helpful to think that way, but it's also deceptive in the way that we understand it. Because a better understanding of the way that that phrase is being used in the Greek, it would not be eternal life, but life everlasting. In fact, some of your translations will say life everlasting or everlasting life to try to bring some understanding to that. Because what is being utilized in Scripture, especially the New Testament, when it talks about life everlasting, when Paul writes about it and when Jesus speaks about it, it is life now forever, not life someday. And that makes a difference. It makes a difference. I can tell you, I know faithful followers of Jesus who when I look at their lives, I know that they're living for someday, but they don't have life now. They don't have joy now. They don't have peace now. They don't have the power of God being demonstrated in their life. Now, they're longing for it for someday, but they're living as if it's not theirs today. The wages of sin diminish everything that it touches, but the gift of God is life everlasting, now stretching on. And when you align the way that you live your life today with the way that God says it's supposed to be lived, that's how you start to experience life. God's word help us, helps us understand who he is and who we are in relation to him and how life is meant to be lived. And when we begin to have that understanding, we begin to walk that out. And oh my goodness, my life seems to, there's a little heaven on earth right now. 
All of those things are wrapped up into the idea that you were designed to live life that way. The second thing is that when you decide that you're going to live your life in that way, when you actually begin to align yourself with the Word of God, when you align yourself with the leading of the Spirit of God, there are absolute, immediate, and tangible benefits that come as a result of that. It's not the reasons that we would do that or be motivated towards that, but they are the results. In Psalm chapter 1, a picture of what it looks like to live life according to God's word, to live life from every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, is invariably described here. Psalm chapter 1 says this. It says, blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked or stand in the way that the sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. More than highlighting people who are naughty here, it's reinforcing what it looks like to live a life misaligned from the plans and principles of God. More than singling individuals out or grouping people together, more than that, it is highlighting the idea that this is what it looks like when you live out of alignment with the things of God. And then it, you've got this uh, switch here. It says, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates, who meditates on his law day and night. And that usage of the word law there, the way that that word is being used, it is, it is back casting to what was understood as God's word at that point. It was the Pentateuch that the psalmist is writing about. The Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's what they knew and had and understood of God's word at that point. And they're saying, hey, when you live that way, there's a stark difference and here's the result. That person who lives that way is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. It's a pretty bold statement to say that if you will align living your life with the things of God, that you will see success and prosperity in that. Now that gets kind of twisted and that gets kind of sold in a number of different ways that I don't think are really healthy and press on unhealthy motivations. But there is an honesty to this. If you live your life the way that God says that life is to be lived, you'll see the benefit of that. And a wild thing to do is to look in secular culture Ideas that have been propagated as kind of self-help that have proved beneficial that you can actually backtrack to the word of God. They just leave God out of the idea. It's, it's wild. A few years ago, there was a, a big push in kind of the physical health guru circles to do what's called intermittent fasting. Have any of you done that or heard of it? Right? Some of you've got a trainer and they're being like, you know what? You want to get shredded? You want, it all, you want to get it all back? Intermittent fasting. Helps your body reset, does some great things for your mind. There's all kinds of like science that goes behind all of that stuff. And literally, intermittent fasting has been a way of kind of closing out, just getting overrun by your body and your sensations and your needs. And like for years, thousands of years, using intermittent fasting and prayer to just kind of pump the brakes, pause, reset with the Lord, 
and to move forward. They just leave all the stuff of connecting with God out and they get the physical benefits of it. Do you know there are literal physical benefits and you can do that, skipping God and still get a benefit from it. Why? Because life was designed to live that way. You can go into the bookstore right now and there's all kinds of uh, literature on positive thinking on speaking to yourself in the mirror and saying good things about yourself. All kinds of stuff. Why does some of that work? Because Scripture says life and death is in the power of the tongue. Because the spoken creative word of man is something that is reflective in a lesser sense of the spoken creative word of the Creator. And there is life and death in the power of the tongue. Even when people try to circumvent God, when they, uh, when they live by godly principles, there's benefit from it. Now, here's the thing. They're all short-lived. They're using it like a fork to stuff it into their thermostat, and they're just going to patch it together for a while. And it, listen to me, it'll work for a while, but it won't last. And see, that, that's the difference. That's when we understand that we were created and designed to live life according to God's word, and then we begin to do that as a way of not just living out godly principles, but connecting with our Heavenly Father. There's benefits now, and those benefits will stretch out as well. It's everlasting life, or life everlasting. It's now stretching into eternity, not just hoping for someday. But it is an interesting study for me when I watch people who have no interest in the things of God arrive at scientific and academic conclusions that I'm like, bro, I read that in like third grade. Should have wrote a book. No, I'm teasing. You were designed to live according to God's word. There are benefit, benefits from living your life out that way, but it really, it, it does come down to some application for you and I. For us to walk into that, it requires us two things. It requires us to know and to do. Everybody say no. Everybody say do. Do. I wanted to make sure that I got both of those because if I was like, everybody say no, some of you could have been saying no like N-O because you weren't with me. So not until I got the do did I have everybody with me. So I appreciate that for you. Some of you are lost. And you're the ones that can't spell were or where. <laughs> All right. That's how, I, that's how I vet the class. But you got to know and you got to do. Okay, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus has a parable. Tells a story there. And many of you will be familiar with it. But he says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. If you're familiar with the story, he goes on from there, and he says there was a builder, found a rock, he built his house on it, the storms came, raged against the house, everything stood firm because of the foundation that it was on, and then he contrasts that with somebody who does the exact same thing but builds it on the sand, and the storms come and rage against it, and the whole thing collapses. And the really interesting thing here is how often we miss part of what Jesus is saying because of the way that we read the verse. He says, there, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And I don't think when we read this quickly that we differentiate correctly between the people he's talking about. 
Because here's the deal. Everybody who he was speaking to had just finished hearing his words. I don't think we pause long enough to think about the audience or what Jesus is saying here. We think that, okay, so if I hear and if I do, then like that's really what he's focusing on. The audience that he was speaking to, everybody had just heard. They were all hearers. The differentiation was whether or not they were going to act on what they knew that he had spoken. And that is where the practical issues of life get difficult for you and I. Many of us would already know that God has designed life to be lived a certain way. We would believe that. We would at least align our cognitive thoughts or kind of the intuition of our hearts towards that truth. And we would intuitively and experientially know that when we live life the way that God has encouraged us to do it, that when we put his word into practice, that there's been fruit, that there's been results of that in our lives. But the, the daily challenge, kind of the rubber hitting the road part of the thing, is this piece right here that many of us hear, many of us know, and then don't act. That's my biggest challenge. So I'll, I'll circumvent you and just what the Lord's doing in you this morning. We'll just talk about par- Pastor Ben. This is the hardest part of following Jesus for me because I know too much. I know. I know a lot. I think I know even more, but I do know. Well, we'll, we'll backtrack. I know some. I know some. I think it's a lot. It's probably more than I do. Like I can, I can sit and quote verses, or I can say I heard that story, but am I doing that? See, that, like, that's the practical part. I'm going to give you two ideas. One is how to know. How to know. How are you going to know what Jesus spoke? How do you know, are you going to know the Word of God? You can't actually act on it unless you know it first. And I would encourage you just in a very simple, simple way this week, like begin to read your Bible. Somehow, some way. You can do something like a Bible reading plan. We've got life journals out at the Connections Counter. You could start something like that, and maybe you're like really energetic, and you're a to-do list type of a person, and, and that type of stru- structure is going to give you life. Others of you, you're going to be you're going to be suffocated by that type of structure, and it's going to become religious, and it's going to be rote, and there's not going to be life and relationship in it. Just find a way to find your way to God's word. Okay, find a way to find your way to God's word. Open it up and read it. Buy a Bible. Download the app. Listen to it while you drive. Just, just find some way to get to God's Word. It's living. It's active. It addresses all of the issues of life. There are academics and learned people who spend years and years and years and years of research to arrive at a conclusion that has been in the page the whole time. Like just... Just begin to read. And maybe you have a discipline of that. Maybe you're the, hey, pastor, I read every day. Good, then start to study. Like, start to grow. Maybe you're somebody who already does that. Then start a conversation with somebody else. One of the coolest things for me is when I learn something I didn't know from somebody I didn't expect. 
where there's a change of perspective or where there's kind of this little nuance of understanding that comes from their experience and, and the way that God's worked in their lives that surprises you. I had an interaction like that this last week with my daughter as she was giving me some of her ideas because she had read Psalm 1 this week, just coincidentally. Start a conversation. In the fall, we'll have our connect groups and we'll have equipping classes going. We actually have processes and ways of, of growing in community. I'd encourage you to do that. But before any of those big things, just find a way to find your way to God's word this week. And then the second thing is do. Just put it into practice. Take a baby step. Right? There's some hard things in Scripture. Like if you spend any time in, in the Word of God, there's some wild stories, there's crazy adventures, there's stuff that you're like, can they even write that in the Bible? Like there's some stuff that would make you blush. And then there's things that are just really hard to do, like to love your neighbor as yourself. Right? The first part, like in that context, like love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And like that seems hard. And then on the heels of it, it's love your neighbor as yourself. And you're like, who can do any of this? Right, that's why we need a savior, right? You know, maybe you have a difficult neighbor and you're like, I don't know how to love them. How about tomorrow when you come out of your house and you see their car and the first thought that you have of them is the same first thought you've had of them every day. Maybe after that thought you pause and you pray for them. You don't have to buy him a gift basket. You don't have to go to the Broncos game with him. You don't even have to be friends yet. But a baby step of praying for somebody. That can start all kinds of transformation in your life because you are willing to take a step of faith to align your life with God's word. And there's so many other ways to do that. I'm going to ask you to stand as we close. Worship team, if you would come forward. There's going to be a series of questions that I'm going to invite you to consider in a moment. But before we get to those, I want to make something really clear. Before you resolve in your person to make God's word your foundation, Jesus needs to be that foundation first. See, it would, it would be a mistake to go into this series. It would be a mistake to end today by saying that your action step and your one thing that your firm foundation is just reading your Bible and doing what it says. Like that gets you to point number two, that there's benefits from aligning your life with God's word. But more than that, your heart your life, your person needs to be aligned with the heart of God. You need, you need to be right with the Lord. And the application of Scripture, when you begin to put it into practice, and you begin to see the fruit in your life, and as the promises of God come alive in your own life, and the move of God in the lives of people becomes a move of God in your life, and it, like it's coming off the page, before that stuff really happens and takes any type of transformative effect in your life, there's something that has to happen between you and Jesus first. Just You need to come to Jesus. Jesus. 
See, life was designed to be lived a certain way. It was, to be it was designed to be lived in right relationship with God. And we, we don't live life naturally that way because the world's broken. Sin has done that. And so we start with misalignment. And as much as you would look to apply God's word to kind of bring about kind of a, a, a realignment to kind of set the fractures in your life, there'll be short-term benefits from that. But the long-term benefits, the life now stretching on, the everlasting life comes from Jesus, not just from reading and doing. You come to Jesus first and then you hear his word and put it into practice, but you gotta come to Jesus. And so Lord, we stop and we pause right now and we do that. Lord, for some hearts here, there may be a surrendering of their life, an acknowledgement of you as their savior and those first steps. Lord, for some here, they may be coming home. They may have received salvation, new life in Christ, but they may have been living a life of death. Lord, for some of us, we have needs we have wounds, we have hurts, we have brokenness, Lord, we have misaligned priorities. Lord, we bring all of those to you first, Jesus. We acknowledge our need for you. We acknowledge our love for you. And we come to you first. And Lord, we ask that you would restore to us the joy of your salvation, Lord, that you would restore to us a hunger for your word. Lord, that we would live life the way that it was designed that in searching the pages, we wouldn't just find answers to life, but we would find the one who gives life. Lord, we come to you and we ask that you'd work in our hearts. A love for your word. And Lord, help us to go out from here this week whether we've patched a part of our life to kind of work for a season or for a week or for a day, Lord, may we go out with the desire to know you and to live our lives by the book. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Action steps for you this week. If you've got a smartphone or a tablet, I want to encourage you to snap a picture of that. You can catch these online or on Facebook later this week. But I want to encourage you to begin some type of Bible reading plan, right? Find a way to find your way to God's word. Number two, have a conversation with God about what you read. Like, read a little, pray a little, even if it's just a little. Make sure that you do that. And then number three, take an opportunity to start a conversation with somebody else this week. Share a verse, share a thought, share an idea.